guys, I'm Laura. And I'm Vanessa. And welcome to season four of A Tap on the Wrist. Season four. Oh my goodness, I can't believe we're recording a brand new season. It's been a while. It has been a while. We, we decided to take the summer off. We both just needed a refresh, I feel like. After all the stress of yeah. the last like year and a half to two years now. <laughs> I know. So what did you do with your summer break? Not a lot. Uh, (laughs) um, I still really didn't do much. I mean, Laura and I both went to North Carolina to see a friend of ours, meet her baby, which was really exciting. Besides that, I really don't think I did any traveling. Um, But I did, you know, start to go out in New York more. You know, they now require vaccination for, like, a lot of indoor events and dining and stuff like that. So I've started to feel more comfortable going out so I've been going to the movies you know going to dinner uh and just feeling better about like dipping my toe into normal life again even though I'm still working remotely so right it's still you also found a new love I found a new love in sour beer oh oh my god (laughs) you were like I did I was like Laura what am I forgetting (laughs) um yes I do now like sour beer which is a step to liking other beers, I feel like. I mean, it's a miracle. It's progress. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> it is nine years in the making. Vanessa finally, enjoys a beer. Yeah, I finally drank beer that I enjoyed. Um, and I, yeah, I just, I feel like it's a step forward. Maybe one day I'll be able to enjoy an IPA or, you know, a, I don't know what else is there. Stouts. Stouts. <laughs> I mean, there's lots, but... I mean, that's fine. If you, like, I just think it, like, opens up the door. Like, you can go to a bar now and you can't only have just the one cider. Yeah, yeah. They like, have sour more beer. Options. I could have that. Excellent. It's exciting. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm also moving. Yeah. Within my own building to a different apartment. <laughs> but what's exciting about mm-hmm. that is whenever Laura came to my apartment to record, we would have to pause, like, 5,000 times because I live on, like, a very busy street. So we would hear like cars. Also, my refrigerator made a weird ringing sound for like 40 minutes at a time. And we'd have to record in between that. (laughs) So now in this new apartment, it's the back of the building. So we won't have to like hear the traffic. Lovely. I mean, you uh, guys won't have to hear it either. Yeah. Because sometimes it just made it in. Yeah, sometimes we couldn't help it. Um, And we won't have a ringing refrigerator. So party. Party. How about you? What's going on with you? How's your summer been? Um, my summer was pretty good. Like you mentioned, we went to North Carolina. I did adventure a little further as well. I went to Croatia uh-huh. for a week um, when we were off from teaching this summer. Croatia was beautiful. Highly recommend. And very good with their COVID numbers. Yes. Which was like a selling point for you, I think, too. Well, yeah. The biggest selling points were like, were they being safe and were their numbers low? And could I take one direct flight to minimize airport airplane exposure? Right. And I could. To both of those. (laughs) So uh, that was nice. It was the first time I, you know, traveled internationally since all this has gone down. And I'm used to kind of doing a lot more traveling. So Mm -hmm. enjoyed getting on a plane and doing something normal again. And like Vanessa said, just life in New York is starting to rebound Mm-hmm. dinners with friends and happy hours and uh I just went to a Broadway show yay Broadway yay. Opened. it was almost happy tears when like the curtains came up because yeah. it was just 
You know it's serious when Broadway shuts down. Like, Broadway runs rain or shine. Like, I think in its history, it's closed because of, like, blackouts. Uh-huh. Like, it closed for a night or two because of Hurricane Sandy. And then 18 months because of COVID. Right. I so mean, I can't imagine the joy of, like, the actors and the theater workers and, you know, of everyone to be able to return. Like, yeah. yeah. So it was kind of beautiful. And then still a little surreal, I'm sure, to be yeah. an actor on that stage and the entire audience is masked. Yeah. But it was it was great. And I actually have concert tickets for this week. And I'm like, Woo. oh, I'm really actually nervous about going to a concert. Uh, I mean, I'm sure everyone will be masked. And I think vaccinated. It's rec- and vaccinated. It's yeah. But still the idea of being around, like concerts, you're dancing and you're sweaty and you're singing. And, right. And I, that makes me nervous. You'll have to report back to let us know, like, I will. How, how that experience was. I will. But needless to say, my summer was great. School has restarted. It is chaos. I know. But, um, I mean, you're in school with, like... Yeah. I mean, they're all masks, the kids, but, you know, kids are kids. Sometimes they're not. <laughs> you know yeah. <laughs> I mean? <laughs> if you know a teacher, just thank them for their service. For real. For real. <laughs> because this year is not easy. So, shout out to all of the teachers. Shout out to everyone for surviving the the pandemic, but I just think teachers have had to really change everything we know about our jobs. And, yeah. and yell at kids through masks. Like, you can't do the teacher face yeah. when your face is covered. Right, right. <laughs> and I mean, there are so many parents who, like, need, you know, their kids not to be home during the day. And, right. like, need the extra help. So they should definitely, if you're a parent, please thank your teachers. <laughs> if you're anyone, thank them. But, you know, especially yeah. if you have a kid that's in school. Agreed. Okay, so season four. Season four. Um... Laura, you came up with the idea for the season, so do you want to explain to everyone what we will be doing? Sure. I would love to. Okay. <laughs> um, so, season four, if you've been listening from the beginning, is going to feel very similar to season one. Yes. Every week we're going to change up the topic. Uh, we're, we just want to cover as many things as possible. But the way we're picking our topics, it's not just Laura and Vanessa choosing. We are letting it happen by random spinning the bottle. Fate. Fate is doing it. I actually ran into another podcast and they were doing a similar idea. And I was like, that is so fun to kind of let fate choose Mm -hmm. your topics. And so that's what we did. We have created a lovely board which you can see on our Instagram. It's beautiful. We we hand drew it and everything. We went very nostalgia and it feels like an arts and crafts project it's from us. our childhood. Even though I had like several panic attacks doing it. <laughs> I was like, Laura, I can't draw. I don't know what you want me to do right now. <laughs> she did great. Uh, and so each week we will spin the bottle. Wherever the bottle lands will be the category that we will research the following week. But similar to season one, like Vanessa and I are going to go into it blind. I don't know the story she's telling. She won't know the story I'm telling. Fingers crossed it's not the same story. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But we just kind of like, you know, switching it up every season and keeping you guys on your toes. Mm. It keeps us on our toes. And we kind of like the little nod to spin the bottle. Yeah. A game from, from child to teenagehood. Yeah. 
I feel like more teenagehood. Well, I or hope so. <laughs> Pre-teenagehood, I feel yeah. like. I don't think, like, seven-year-olds no, are playing No, but I think, model. like, 12-year-olds might, you know, they might be like, ha-ha, little peck. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so, this week, though, we did not spin the bottle for week one. We wanted to kind of keep with that nostalgia feel mm-hmm. from our childhood. So, for week one, Vanessa and I are each researching a story from the 90s. Yes. The decade of our childhood. Yes. The 90s. I love the 90s. But yes, we actually created the wheel the same the same day we, we recorded the story. So, we were like, we can't really spin if we're yeah. making the wheel. So, we decided we would just go with the nostalgia. Yes. And, our ni- and the 90s, our, our, our little childhood, little Laura and Vanessa. Yes. And at the end of every episode, make sure you go to our social media to see pictures from the episode, as well as to watch the video of us spinning the wheel for the next week. Yes. We're going to post it every week, so you're going to want to see what we're going to be doing for the next episode. Our next, our first spin, not our next spin, our first spin. Our first spin. Will go up uh, the same day as this episode, right? So if you're listening right now, you can head to our Instagram Check out our spin. Find out what category we will be researching for next week. Mm-hmm. You can find us on Instagram at a tap on the wrist. And if you have any ideas for stories in general, just because we have so many broad topics this season, feel free to send us an email, uh, tap on the wrist podcast at gmail.com. Really, anything you send us, we can fit into one of these categories. Yeah, we can make it work. (laughs) So we would love your ideas. What do you want us to research? What do you want to hear from us? Uh, But this week, let's get started with the 90s. Let's do it. Okay. We're here. We are recording season four. Season four. First story of season four, as told by Laura. It feels like it's been a really... We took a long hiatus this summer. We did take a long hiatus. I feel like it it's pretty comparable to what we did between one and two, but maybe a little bit longer. We needed it. I we just did. We mentally did. We did seasons two and three like back to back. Yes, with a very short yeah. break. Yeah. But I'm so excited about this season because we're kind of going back a little bit to the way we ran things season one, different themes every week. Mm-hmm. And I like that, like, free, like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about every yeah, week. Yeah, And so it was kind of fun to research this topic, and I'm excited about what I'm going to tell you today. I'm excited, too. Okay. So, today's story is going to start like, with a question, because it wouldn't be a Laura story without a question. Yes. So you know how every year there's, like, a drink of the summer? Yeah. Like, White Claw has been it. Yes. <laughs> don't don't ruin my story. Oh my no. god, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so, eight summers ago, it was the shandy. It was like half lemonade, half beer. It's like the drink of the summer. Yeah. You weren't a beer drinker, so you probably no. wouldn't remember. Um, then in 2016, we had the grapefruit beer craze. Also, don't remember that, but sure. Okay. <laughs> um, there was the year that alcoholic sodas were really popular like the alcoholic root beer orange soda people uh-huh. were making like adult root beer floats uh-huh um and i feel like the last two summers have really been all about the hard seltzer yeah yeah i mean claw is the law is a saying i've actually heard uttered at a barbecue <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> 
Not one that I say, <laughs> but yes, I understand. Um, but these crazes aren't new, and people react to new products, and companies respond when things become super popular, because if things are popular, people will buy them, and money can be made. Correct. So I am going to share with you one of these super crazes of the 1990s. All right, I'm ready. Now, we weren't drinking, so we, we didn't experience it. It's literally like my next sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I keep stealing your thunder? It's okay. So, personally, when I think of the nostalgia of food and drink in the 90s, my mind doesn't go to alcohol because I was a kid. Um, I think of things like Surge. Oh, yeah. Uh I honestly, I don't think there is a drink on this planet that brings back such vivid memories as a can of Surge. I know. Like, I just get taken right back to my childhood at just the word Surge. Um, but I also think of Fruitopia. Did you have that Oh, here? yeah, yeah. I feel like here in New York, Snapple was really popular. Yeah. But we didn't really do Snapple down south. I mean, like, I'd heard of it, mm -hmm. but not the way New York does Snapple. Yeah. I also remember, like, I don't, actually, I don't know if this was in the 90s or 2000s, like, Crystal Pepsi or Coke or something, that, like, clear... Oh, oh, I'm going to get there. Oh, oh. I keep <laughs> stealing your, your lines. It's I, literally, it's the next sentence. I'm sorry. <laughs> and um, I was actually recently on the phone with a friend, and he mentioned Clear Pepsi or yeah. Crystal Pepsi, just like Vanessa did. And I don't really remember it. I wasn't... Like, my mom never really bought soda, and I we didn't have a lot of soda at home. I'm not sure why Surge is so fond in my heart. <laughs> but, so I don't really remember tasting Crystal Pepsi, but, like, he was talking about it all the time. And, like, you remember it. Yeah. It was just clear Pepsi, right? Yeah. And 3D Doritos. I, don't I know remember what, 3D Doritos. Those two, like, come, like, go hand in hand for me for some reason. And Gushers. Gushers. Oh, so good. I think these are still a thing. Gushers are definitely still a thing. Yeah. They've survived. And I've recently tasted them and they don't hold up. Like That's sad. I mean, it's just sugar in yeah. liquid and solid form together. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, Clear Pepsi was part of this movement in the early 1990s. Americans were obsessed with clear things. It was like a clear craze. You can Google it. It's like historically known that lots of things were clear. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. But Interesting. Um, have you ever heard of Zima? Yes. It is also a part of that clear craze, but it's an alcoholic beverage. Yeah. And that's really the topic of my story today. I feel like I've only heard of it through like movies. You know what I mean? Yes. It was very real. Yeah. And yeah, no, 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 I know it's real, but I feel like, like I never had it. Well, yeah. That's good, because I'd have to call your mom and have a talk with her. I wasn't seven years old, popping some Zima. It didn't last long enough for you to be old enough to drink. Um, okay, so for those of you that don't know what Zima is, or like us who have never tasted it, uh, Zima is a lemon-lime drink. That was a part of that mentioned clear craze of the 1990s. 
Uh, and during this clear craze, America produced products such as Crystal Pepsi, the Coke version, which was called Tab Clear. Mm-hmm. And Americans even had an obsession with not food and beverages being clear, but like deodorants and hygiene products went clear that during that time period. Electronics, like Game Boys had clear cases, telephones had clear cases. Like people were obsessed with everything being clear and see-through. Interesting. Yeah, it's a weird time. <laughs> uh, I can't explain it. I'm not going to try to. We sh- that fad shouldn't come back like jeans, like straight leg jeans are. But I think we're say like clear jeans. I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? I have seen clear pants like on some weird webs. Anyways, I'm we're no, I'm getting sidetracked. So much. <laughs> okay, so Zima, whose full name was actually Zima Clear Malt. Yes. No, I'm laughing because you said like whose full name as if it's a person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She is, um, was a clear, lightly carbonated alcoholic beverage made and distributed by the Coors Brewing Company. So it was introduced in America in 1993, and it was marketed as an alternative to both beer and wine coolers. And the drinks of the early 1990s are very different than, like, the beer and drinking culture of today. Mm-hmm. Um, the in 1992, uh, it was kind of ruled by three beer companies. We had Anheuser Busch, mm-hmm. number one. Miller was number two, and Coors was number three. And it was all pretty much like lagers. Light beers had just come onto the market, and they were all advertised at men. And then for women, we had wine coolers. Yeah. Um, that's what women were drinking. Mm-hmm. Or the new, like, brand new on the market, light beers were kind of aimed at women. But wine coolers, I thought they were really popular in the 1990s. That's what I had remembered. Mm-hmm. But when I started researching this episode, they were actually more of a 1980s fad craze. Okay. But basically a wine cooler was like wine... With added fruit flavors and added sugar. And, I mean, it's also sold in a bottle. And they were, like, super fruity and tropical. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of the beer alternative for women. Without being, like, in a wine glass and a bottle of wine. I feel like they still exist. They're just not. Do they? I, just, I think they do. They're just not like super Seagram's? popular. Yeah. Seagram's? Yeah. I guess you can find, probably find like a six pack or something. Yeah. But I feel like if you go on a beer aisle, it's rare to see wine coolers now. Yeah. Someone's mom and grandma are still drinking oh, them. Oh, yeah. Um, and the reason that I keep saying like targeted at men, targeted at women, because that's exactly what these beer and wine cooler companies did. Like these mm-hmm. drinks were marketed and advertised very gender specific yeah because it was manly to drink beer and it was like too manly for a woman to kind of drink beer which blows my mind um so dumb but with all that when zima came on the scene it had an 
ABV of 4.7% to start with. Mm -hmm. And it was actually offered as an alternative to wine coolers and beer, but they wanted to be targeted at men. For men who didn't want beer, but were too masculine to drink wine coolers, it was supposed to be like that middle ground. Like, if you look at their bottles, Mm -hmm. they're clear with like a blue and silver label. So they were like masculine looking versus a wine cooler. Um, And so that was the purpose of them when they were first brought onto the market. Mm -hmm. It didn't really work. I was going to say, I feel like when I think of Zima... I think of women drinking it. Right. So Coors marketed Zima towards men, uh, but, and stores were even actually instructed to never place Zima alongside wine coolers in Uh case men might mistake the product as too feminine. But men just saw it as not beer. Yeah. So they didn't, it didn't really work. And the early ads for Zima... The spokesperson was a man. He always had on, like, this black bowler hat. Mm-hmm. And all of his S's, he used the Z sound. Oh, God. And their tagline, so that it was a truly unique alcohol beverage, but their tagline was, something different. Oh, no. <laughs> and, like, I watched a couple of the commercials on YouTube, and if we can get one to put on social media, we can try that. I don't know if we... We can, like, legally find one and download it. But uh, it was very 90s, which Mm -hmm. I loved. But they never once describe in the commercials what Zima tastes like, what it's made with. It was just this, like, unique beverage that you should try, bring to your barbecue. And it was, like, groups of friends barbecuing. Kind of like the 1990s hipsters. Uh Uh-huh. And they'd be like... I'm a vegetarian. Pass me my Zima. Like, that's literally what so one weird. of the commercials. We could always post links on our tip Twitter. Yeah. So anything. it was, it was like the hipster drink yeah. of the time. It yeah. was very bizarre. However, despite all their marketing, the drink still mainly appealed to women. And that's yeah. who ended up buying it. But I want to talk about, like, how do you make clear beer? Because that's really what it was. Mm -hmm. It was a clear beer beverage. And it turns out that Coors, when they had this idea, um, they were number three in the nation at making beer. They processed millions of barrels of beer every year to sell. Mm -hmm. Um, It's quite a simple process to turn their beer clear. They ran it through, they took their lowest grade lager and they would run it through this charcoal process that would filter out all of the color mm-hmm. and flavor of their beer, leaving basically just a clear alcohol. And then they would add in this citrus, lemon, lime flavoring and no color because they wanted it to be clear. But you right. could have they could have then made it purple if they wanted. Yeah. But they just like filtered it through this charcoal process that mm-hmm. removed like the amber color of the beer and, and the flavor and the flavor so and it was then, like almost like a vodka right <laughs> and then they made it lemon flavored it's so weird uh it was described as having a zesty citrus flavor i kind of imagine it as almost being like an 
alcoholic Sprite. Yeah, because that's what I keep thinking. When it's you say carbonated. Lemon. It's yeah. lemon lime flavored, but then it's like beer. I yeah. I don't know. So I wanted to know what it tasted like. Right. Like for someone who had tasted it. So I called my mom. <laughs> Because my mom's in prime drinking age yeah. in the 1990s. And I asked her, I was like, have you ever had Zima? And she was like, oh, I remember Zima. And she just kept saying it was bitter. She didn't like it. She is a beer drinker, though, mm-hmm. so I don't know that she would have liked it. It yeah. wasn't targeted for her. But she just remembered it being bitter. Weird. Uh, and... I'll get back to some other descriptions that people gave of it. It's weird if they removed the flavor and then added a flavor in that they would make it bitter. Yeah. Like they wouldn't add sweeteners. I don't know. You know, I don't know. But, and while my mom didn't like it, many people did. It was very, very popular. Um, But when... As we get further and further away from that time period where it was the craze, research kind of shows that it was so popular really more due to Coors marketing strategies than the actual enjoyment of people buying Zima. Their Vegas commercials and stuff? Yeah, they spent in 1993, 1994, over $30 million, and in some studies, up to $50 million on just Zima marketing. Uh, And, I mean, it was everywhere. TV commercials galore, magazine commercials. Coors even had a video series. Did you just say magazine commercials? (laughs) Yeah, magazine ads, sorry. (laughs) Coors even had a video series Uh uh, and video game for Zima that they marketed that year. Interesting. And it is one of the first known websites to advertise a food product. Oh. So, I mean, Coors went all in on Zima. And, like I said, the TV commercials were memorable. And they are so 90s when you watch them. It's, I don't know. It was very attractive. People wanted the Zima because (laughs) of all of this. And research shows that the campaign was very successful, and it's noted that almost half of American alcohol drinkers at some point that year bought and tried Zima. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, again, like, to kind of equate it to, like, White Claw, when that came out, I feel like everyone had to try it. Right, and, like, the more people see it and hear it, they, yeah. like, want to know, well, is it's it not as that good? good, but like you know, that's exactly the feeling people. <laughs> so that's why I say, well, they they call it a craze of that time period. Yes, people were buying it, but they were buying it like one time to try it, yeah. and they weren't repeat purchases. Yeah, so it it has a very short lifespan. Okay, um, where it is like the number one drink, right? So, um. Brand Week magazine reported that at Zima's peak, which was in 1994, 1. 1.2 million barrels of the beverage were sold, and mainly to women, mm-hmm. and you know for barbecues and things like that. Yeah. 
And it was so popular that Coors was like, we're going to get men to drink this drink. They were determined. Determined. So in 1995, they developed a new version of Zima. Again, trying to attract men. This time, it wasn't Zima Clear Malt. It was Zima Gold. It was an amber-colored beverage that promised a taste of bourbon. Let's take a second to reflect right here. Imagine being in this meeting where you're like, let's take our beer, remove all the color and flavor, add back in amber color and bourbon flavor, and sell it as a beer. Like, what the hell? Who who okayed that branding? Who wanted that? Like, why wouldn't you just drink bourbon then? If you wanted the taste of bourbon, why wouldn't you just drink bourbon? I, I, I just want... I, I don't know. And you know what? No one knows. Okay. Because Zima Gold did not win any gold medals. Uh, it was so unpopular, it disappeared from store shelves in under a year. Yeah, no I'm one, not surprised. No one wanted that. I'm not surprised. However... As is a saying our parents told us our entire childhood, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Uh-huh. Um, Miller High Life, like, responsible for Miller High Life, which was probably the most popular beer of the time, uh, came up with a clear beverage as well after the success of, of Zima. They but they just called theirs simply clear beer. Uh-huh. And... This reminded me, as you mentioned, of, like, today's White Claw craze. Mm -hmm. There's, like, one summer, it was all about White Claw, and now, a summer or two later, if you go down the the beer aisle, it's White Claw, it's Truly, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, Bud Light has a version of a hard seltzer, Corona has a version of a hard, everyone has a hard seltzer. Yeah. Target has a Target brand. Right. You know, everyone has a hard seltzer. So that's what started to happen with these clear beers. Mm -hmm. However, the mistake that most of the competitors made is using that term, beer. Zima does not use the term beer in their labeling. Mm -hmm. They are a malt-like alcoholic beverage. Uh Uh, Most of the competitors tried to advertise as a cool, clear beer, but beer isn't what women wanted. And right. Beer is, and, and women were the ones who were buying it. So they would go down and be like, I don't want clear beer. I want Zima. Right. And so Zima was still the number one clear beverage drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the competitors didn't really win out. Pabst even had one. God. Like everyone had a clear beer during this time. But they almost all failed um, because of that marketing mistake. Right. right. Now... Let's be honest. Zima wasn't for everyone. Mm-hmm. There were some haters as well. Yeah. Like my mom. Like your mom. Um, and, you know, you can't strip away the flavor of beer and then expect a beer lover to want to buy your product. Let's be honest. You can't strip away the flavor of beer and then expect a beer lover to want to buy your product. Right. Like, if you like beer, you want, you want it to beer. taste like yeah. beer. So... By stripping the product of its flavor and color, it also stripped it of some of the qualities of beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you poured Zima into a glass, 
you didn't get like the foamy head that you would right on a on a beer and most people say it acted and tasted more like soda than beer mm-hmm. so here are some real descriptions of zima okay that i I'm found ready. online so ready scotch tape with lime <laughs> oh i should have mentioned these are haters comments yeah yeah, yeah. uh <laughs> One review I read said, Straight Zima tasted like tinfoil soaked in Fresca. <laughs> Fresca? Yeah. Or lemonade filtered through aluminum foil. So it's interesting. I didn't tell my mom any of that. So uh-huh. for her to say it was bitter. Yeah. And then all these other reviews to have that like foil alumini taste. Uh-huh. It's really interesting. So I don't know whatever that zesty citrus flavoring they added was. Uh-huh. But it must have had... Like a a kick or a tang or something yeah, to or it. Or there was just something left over from the filtration process. Even though it took the beer flavor out, maybe there yeah. was just like still something there. I don't know. So our good friend Zima did not... I mean, it was one of the most popular beverages for a few years. But it started to fall to the wayside as other drinks rose in prominence during the 1990s. Uh One, small craft breweries started producing different types of beer that women found appetizing um, if they didn't like the traditional beers that were so prevalent in America. There were, you know, hoppier IPAs starting to come onto the market. There were, you know, more um, international beers being imported into America in the late 90s. So there were just more beer options for people to drink. And there were more beer options for people to drink. And Zima didn't make the cut anymore. Yeah. Also, there was... And I, I, I'm sure we've mentioned this in an episode in an earlier season... But the late 90s is really when we see a resurgence in the cocktail movement Mm -hmm. in America and, like, craft cocktails specifically. So things like flavored martinis, like an espresso martini, a chocolate martini. Apple teeny. Apple teenies. The Cosmopolitan. Sex on the Beach. Mm -hmm. um, You know, TV shows like Sex on the City change that for cocktails as well. So there were so many more options that were better than Zima. Right. That Zima really fell to the wayside. Um, It did stay on the shelves for years because there were fanatics and fans. And in 2000... I those people. I know. In 2004, it actually transformed completely to Zima Triple X. Coors took... The 4.7 ABV pumped it up to a a 5.9%, and they added in different flavorings like hard punch and hard orange. Uh, So it wasn't lemon-lime flavored, it was fruit punch and orange flavored. And that kept it kind of on the market. It appealed, like, to college kids. Mm -hmm. They would, you know, add it to things like hunch punch or whatever your college drink choice was. Uh, but again, didn't really work to keep it front and center for very long. And in 2008, Zima was discontinued. Mm-hmm. There have been two releases of it in the last 12, 13 years. 
as kind of nostalgia releases, yeah. but they're short, small batch releases. And while it is kind of sad to see those faded or those phases like kind of fade in and out, um, I it kind of I love that they're there for the nostalgia of it. Yeah. Oh. And you know, if we didn't have Zimas in the early nineteen nineties, we may never have gotten the Mike's Hard Lemonades that yeah, yeah. were so prevalent when I was in college, or the Smirnoff Ices. Yep, I remember that, those. I mean, yeah. that is some of my first memories of drinking. Right, were those things. And again, you don't see them very often. I mean, Mike's Hard Lemonade is still on the shelves, but that's not what people are grabbing right now. But the nostalgia of it is there, and it was the drink at a time. It's funny. I feel like these things are always beer alternatives, though, right? Always, because... And that's pretty much my story. I used two main sources for my article, and then a little pick, pick, peek at Wikipedia, <laughs> um, or the people source, because... There's not a whole lot written about Zima, except, like, lists of, like, 90s nostalgia beverages. Yeah. Anyways, so the first article I read, which was super interesting, was called The Long, Slow, Torturous Death of Zima. Oh. By Brendan Corner. It was written for Slate.com. Okay. And then an article for Ranker.com called, For a Brief Moment in the 90s, Zima Was Popular Until People Tasted It. <laughs> So, some people loved it, some people hated it, but I'm thankful that it happened. Yeah. If they ever release a small batch again, we should get it just to try it. A hundred percent. All right. So, if you've listened to previous seasons, you'll know that Laura and I aren't big vodka drinkers. No. No. <laughs> So I don't know a lot about vodka and what makes one better than the other, uh, but what I do know is that if I'm going to buy vodka, it will typically be one of a couple of brands. It'll be Smirnoff, Grey Goose if I'm feeling fancy, but most likely I'll buy Tito's. That's like my go-to. Yeah. yeah, I don't even know the last time I bought vodka. Yeah. But I feel like Tito's is like inexpensive, but not... Like, a handle of the cheap shit. You know what I mean? It's like that in-between. It's not Smirnoff, which is terrible to say. Like, Smirnoff, I always think, like, no one's drinking Smirnoff. No. No. Uh, And actually, the point of Tito's is that it's supposed to be drinkable. We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. Uh, So, if you haven't guessed yet, I'm going to be telling the history of Tito's. Uh, And I'm... Not only doing Tito's because it was founded in the 90s and we are talking about 1990s things, which I didn't realize. I don't know why I thought it was around for longer. Although I guess the 90s were like 30 years ago, so it's not. It's been around a while, (laughs) just like us. (laughs) Just like us. But I also found it kind of an inspiring story because as someone who is in their mid-30s and who has worked in corporate America for many years... Uh, Burt Butler Tito Beverage, no shit, that's his last name, uh, the second, does not come from a, a line of distillers. He, like, didn't have a distilling legacy behind him. 
He knew nothing about distilling vodka and had worked several careers before he even got to the idea of distilling vodka. So, like, it's someone who kind of made, like, a side hustle or a hobby, like, a a multi-billion dollar career. (laughs) From your mouth to our (laughs) podcast listeners' ears, help us be like Uncle Tito. I don't know why I want to call him Uncle. (laughs) It's weird. One of the articles... I read referred to him as, like, a kind-looking uncle, I think. So, (laughs) Uncle Tito it is. But, yes. uh, Did I say his name right? It was Burt Butler Tito is the nickname. Beverage the second. So, he's Burt Butler Beverage is his name. BBB. (laughs) And Tito is his nickname. Yes. So, according to the people source, because I wanted to figure out how he got his nickname, uh, Burt got the nickname Bertito. Uh, like, he had Latino caregivers when he was younger, and they used to call him Bertito, and it got shortened to Tito. Ah, that yes. makes sense. Yes. Uh, and that's his nickname and what he goes by, so I'm going to call him Tito, because we're friends like that. Yeah, we're Uncle cool. Tito. <laughs> um, Tito was born and raised in San Antonio, and his original dream was to train horses. I don't want to talk about Texas, but... I know. I know. (laughs) I know. It's not the best state to be talking about right now. Um, But San Antonio's, I've been there for a day. Yes. And we are actually going to be moving over to Austin. uh, Because we're moving. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're not staying in San Antonio in the story. Oh. Uh, We're moving over to Austin. Uh, Tito went to the University of Texas at Austin, where he graduated with degrees in geology and geophysics. Smart, smart kid. Uh, After he graduated, he initially got into the oil and gas business before traveling to Venezuela and Colombia, where he ran heli portable dynamic seismic crews. And no, I have no idea what the fuck that means. (laughs) I didn't look it up because this isn't a podcast about... Heli portable dynamic <laughs> seismic cruise. Uh, so if you're interested, you look that up. Okay. <laughs> you get it, girl. Tito did some shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then after that, he moved to Houston, where he started a drilling company, and then he headed back to Austin. Okay. Yeah. And it was in Austin that he eventually got into the ever-exciting mortgage business. Okay. I didn't know if we were at at vodka yet. No, the mortgage business. Uh, So in a quote from Forbes article, he said, a friend of mine was killing it in the mortgage business, and I was sweating my ass off in a dump. He told me, you wear Italian suits, hang around a bunch of girls, and there's air conditioning. So he bit. He was like, Mm -hmm. all right. Instead of working on the land, I could be working. (laughs) For the man. For the man. Uh but it was while he was working in the mortgage business that he decided to spend some time on a hobby, probably because he needed a distraction from being in the mortgage business. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, God, this is boring. <laughs> um, I'm kidding anyone who's working in the mortgage business. Well, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so as his, like, side hustle hobby he began to create flavored vodkas. So at this point, he wasn't distilling. He was just taking existing vodka and infusing it and making flavored vodkas. That's just for funsies. 
That sounds like a great hobby. Yeah. So he would bring it, bring them to parties, like share it with friends. It wasn't like a career. It was just something he did. Uh, and this was in the 90s, in 1992, 1993. You're competing with Zima. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... On the Tito's website, because they actually had a very extensive history about about Tito and the founding of Tito's Vodka, uh, one night he was at a party and a guy went up to him and was like, hey, you're the vodka guy. And he said, no, contrary, I'm the mortgage guy. But that kind of made him go like, hmm, do I want to be the mortgage guy or the vodka guy? The vodka guy sounds way more fun. <laughs> So he ended up going to liquor stores and asking if they would sell his flavored vodkas, but they consistently were saying no because people didn't really buy vodka to drink. Um, it wasn't really the alcohol of choice. And the website even says that like people would be like, no, go look at the dust on the shoulders of those bottles. Like They just weren't moving, so they didn't want to add these flavored vodkas from this weird random dude selling mortgages or whatever he did. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so he thought about it and he was like, well, what if there was a really good vodka that people did want to drink and that was smooth and that people would enjoy? And hey, why don't I make that vodka? Now, like I said at the top of the story, he had no experience or background in distilling. He didn't know anyone in distilling, which is brand new territory. Sounds like a start in a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. In fact, there had never even been a legal distillery in Texas, ever. Of any kind? Uh, I don't or know if it was just distillery. a vodka. It just said distiller, legal distillery. Okay. But I guess it could have been vodka specifically. Um, and as the website points out, the Tito's history section... This was all pre-internet, so the fact that there were no distilleries in the area meant that there weren't a lot of, like, books about it in the area. Like, people weren't getting books from the library about distilleries, so you couldn't look it up online. There were no books about it. Uh, there was no equipment because there were no legal distilleries. And so he had to kind of learn things on his own, and you know what he did? He found he made a lot of really bad vodka. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm sure. But he actually took pictures from like the Prohibition era, like pictures of bust and of like moonshiners where they like took pictures of the equipment and the stills and just based on looking at those pictures built his own still. And it worked. And it worked. Uh I which I found so cool when I read that I was like he just pulled up pictures from Prohibition. I was like, mm, I, can I, figure, can I can figure this out. Because <laughs> um, I guess that was like the only resource he could find that involved anything for distilling vodka was like the history of Prohibition. That's so strange. Yeah. Um, so he used copper pipe and an outdoor fryer for heat. Uh, according to an article I read on Vine Pear, he also used a homemade 16-gallon pot still that was made using two Dr. Pepper kegs and a turkey frying rig. Okay. Thanks, Dr. Pepper. Uh, the article mentions that typically the way vodka is made is with column stills, and a column still means that they're putting 
the starch containing distillants so like the potato or the corn mash uh, at the top of a massive column and then it's flushing it with really hot steam um, obviously that's a little bit more advanced so Tito did this um, pot still which is actually more labor intensive but it is widely recognized for producing higher quality spirits uh, and just a side note that it's believed that now they use a combination of both a column and pot stills for Tito's, um, but their process is very secretive, which I'll get to in a little bit, so not confirmed. Okay. Anyway, uh, like I said, Tito's point was to make this smooth vodka that people would actually enjoy. And so the way he started to try to figure out what that would be was that he bought a shit ton of different types of vodkas taste tested them all and whittled it down to what he thought were the best two and then he kept tweaking his recipe to try and beat the flavor of those two or the taste and smoothness of those two so he said quote i basically just kind of kept working at it and working at it we bought every vodka that was on the shelf we put them in little mason jars and tested all of them and came up with the two best ones when mine consistently beat those two then i figured i had the formula right so it's just a lot of trial and error. So yes, That's like you said, bananas. I'm sure there was a lot of bad vodka before they eventually arrived at what was the perfect recipe. That's super interesting. Yes. Um, I also want to point out that while Tito's distilling process is secret, we do know that he uses corn as his distiller. Um, he said that it was easy to get and economically viable, which seems... I'm just true it's corn uh, and his corn mash is distilled six times and because he's using corn his vodka is gluten-free so good news to our gluten Free intolerant friends, friends. yeah Which we have quite a few of yeah yeah um, however even though he had figured out his perfect formula and it's funny because I I thought of this how we were like we have so many ideas but we don't know the business side of things he had to then figure out the business side. He was like, I have vodka, now what do I do? Um, and so he needed to get money. And it wasn't quite easy. Again, because Texas didn't have any legal distilleries, people didn't really believe that he was going to be able to do it. Uh, so investors didn't think that he was going to be able to get permits at all uh, or that he was going to find a distributor that would be willing to distribute the product. So he said, fuck it. I'm just going to pay for it myself and go into massive debt. And so he took all of his savings uh, and then also used 19 different credit cards amounting to about $88,000 across the 19 different credit cards to fund his business. Oh, that that's dangerous. It's very risky. I mean, it paid off for him, but there are lots of very risky. Yeah. yeah. Uh, don't recommend even though it worked for him. Uh, so he used the money to buy nearly 13 acres in Travis County. Uh, and in 1995, Tito obtained his first legal permit to distill in Texas. So the investors were wrong. He was able to get that permit. Uh, and in 1997, he formed Fifth Generation Inc. and began to officially produce Tito's handmade vodka. Uh, at the start of the business, Tito was working on his own, like by himself in a one-room shack on the eight, like 13 acres that he bought. He had just a little tiny shack. Uh, he made the vodka, bottled and sealed it himself. He added 
like he printed and glued on the labels himself. Uh, he promoted his own vodka. He took it to parties. Uh, one article mentioned that he hired a woman that would take the vodka to parties in Dallas and Houston for him. Like, he would do local Austin. He really became the vodka guy. He really became the vodka guy. Uh, he started going back to those local liquor stores to sell his vodka. He went to bars trying to convince them to buy his stuff. Uh, he said of the time, quote, I'd go out and make it and sell it and come back and make some more. And, you know, I was sleeping next to the still. And, you know just kind of bootstrapped it up. Uh, and an article from Austin Monthly describes a time when an Austin local asked for help with a fundraiser and Tito brought his vodka over for free. Uh, he said that the only thing he did was when he served it to people, he said that if they liked it, to tell 20 friends about it. So he's like really relying on word of mouth and people drinking it and liking it. Luckily for him, in 2001, he got a really big break uh, so he said, quote, we got a call that we'd be in San Francisco, the San Francisco World Spirits competition. I was busy fixing a boiler on my third still and couldn't go, but I sent a couple of bottles. And even though he wasn't there, he's lucky he sent those bottles because his vodka won the double gold medal for best vodka over Grey Goose, Belvedere, and 70 other brands that were submitted. Damn. And he says, like, after that is when it finally like took off and people were like, oh shit, what's this vodka? So it had been, it had started from the word of mouth to become popular in the late 90s, uh, but it was really only popular in the South and the Southwest. And then like once this competition happened was when he gained like nationwide recognition and it started to sell everywhere. Um, he was on his third still, so he yeah. was obviously producing... Right, because right, like, yeah, it like I said, in the in the 90s, it was popular in the South and the Southwest. It just hadn't gotten, like, beyond that area. Yeah. Um, but then it did, and they are now a multi-billion dollar small batch brand. Uh, and it's one of, if not the best-selling vodka in the country. Uh, they're obviously no longer in that one-room shack. They're now at Mockingbird Distillery, which covers 26 acres in Austin, uh, and they're capable of pumping out millions of bottles a month. The distillery got its name from the state bird, which Tito saw as a good luck omen. Uh, and despite it being founded really recently, again, because there were no other legal distilleries, it is now the oldest legal distillery in Texas. I keep saying legal because, you know, there were some yeah, yeah, illegal yeah. ones. <laughs> it's so funny. So I've been to Austin a couple times and, like, I know that Tito's is there. Yeah. No one, I don't know if they do tours. I think they did because I didn't get it up, but I couldn't get anyone to go on a Tito's yeah. tour with me because, I don't know, people don't drink vodka that way. I don't yeah. I mean, I, I, obviously they do, but, and so... Both times I've been to Austin, I've not gone on the Tito's tour, but thought about going. Well, if I'm ever in Austin with you, we can go to Tito's. I'll check it out. Um, and, you know, talking about their success, I do want to mention some of, like, the dollar amounts associated with it. So in the Vine Pair article I read, which I think was written this year in 2021, uh, Tito had a net worth. Tito, as a person, has a net worth of four point six billion. Uh, 
according to Forbes, I think, but according to Bloomberg, they estimate his fortune at actually $9.68 billion. So he's doing very well for himself. Paid off those 19 credit cards. Paid off those 19 credit cards long, long ago. Uh, and Tito's as a brand is also doing great. Uh, its, uh, its sales went up more than 60% in 2017, and it's increased approximately 20% annually since then. So in 2019, Tito's outsold Smirnoff, which we mentioned earlier as a brand that, you know, is one that I feel like most people are familiar with. Uh, and they became the number one position in the U.S. sales in 2019. Wow. Uh, they have an estimated one-fourth share of the vodka market, with revenues approaching $1.4 billion in 2020. Uh, their projected sales for 2021 represented nearly 2 million bottles per week. Two million bottles a week. Wow. Of vodka. It's a lot of vodka. Um, and though it was originally a US based company and only found internationally in Canada and parts of the Caribbean in 2013, it can now be found almost all over the world uh, in most of Europe, Australia, New Zealand, and several Asian countries. And fun fact it is a duty free vodka available on the national airline of Kazakhstan. Okay. So fancy. <laughs> Uh, and this was all accomplished while still only making vodka, the one plain Tito's vodka. If you go, you'll even though he dabbled in flavored vodkas when I he was, was younger. Just, I was actually going to say that he started He with never went back. Yeah, he never added flavors to his vodka. Nope. There's, and that's the only alcohol they make. It's just vodka and just plain vodka. The only difference is the size. Wow. Yeah. And they're super successful with that one product, which is amazing. That is amazing because when you think about Smirnoff, I think this is what people think when they think Smirnoff is the flavors. Yeah, they have tons of flavors. You know, you go Birthday into cake, yeah, cherry, whipped cream, <laughs> yeah. watermelon, lemon, like, and that's kind of, I think, why people go to Smirnoff is for the flavors mm -hmm. but if you're looking for quality and you just want to make like a solid vodka cocktail that isn't yeah. full of artificial flavor you would pick up Cheetos yeah exactly again it's really not that expensive a bottle it's about $20 a bottle uh, as opposed to Grey Goose which is like over 30 I think or even closer to 40 so it's like still pretty affordable but a better quality than sorry Smirnoff. I, I buy Smirnoff sometimes. You I, have it. On I the have bar it right here. Yeah, I have it right here. But uh, but I think Tito's is is a better one. And how does it rate in comparison to like Russian vodkas? That's Do a good know? question. I don't know. Okay. Like in terms of flavor? Well, because like when I think vodka in the U.S., it's the number one selling right. vodka. Because when I think vodka, I think. Russia, because yeah. that is like, I mean, I think vodka runs more freely than water in yeah. Russia. Yeah. So I'm curious where it stands on a scale of like if Russian you asked vodkas. A Russian? <laughs> yeah, like where does Tito? Why did you say Russian so weird? <laughs> <laughs> I said it was like a southern Russian. I don't know like how 
if you like taste test them if one will do better or yeah if, i don't i don't think tito's is sold in russia i don't think that was one of the countries that was listed so i'm just curious yeah i don't know let's buy a russian vodka and tito's and see what we think <laughs> I'm just going to find a friend who's Russian and be like, like, blind taste test. <laughs> what do you like mm-hmm. better? Um, and it, Tito's is known for exactly what Tito wanted to accomplish, which was a more drinkable, smoother vodka. Uh, so I, there, in one of the articles I read, a bartender named Aaron Page said, uh, I think it was the Austin Monthly article, said um, of Tito's, it's in the speed rack with Crown and Jack. It tastes, it just tastes good. It's smooth. It goes down easy. It doesn't leave too much of a burn. And it goes with all mixers, which I feel like is true of all vodkas, honestly, but not necessarily smooth or burn free. So if we're going to take a shot of vodka, we're going Tito's? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, however, it hasn't been. So what we're doing for dinner, by the way. <laughs> just shots of Tito's. That's it. No food. I feel like that will end badly. <laughs> You didn't ask for a good night. You asked for a fun night. Oh, man. Uh, However, it hasn't been all smooth sailing for Tito's. Uh, They have faced some legal troubles. Uh, So a few years ago, or I think for a few years, uh, there, there were some claims made against them because the Tito's bottle says that it's homemade but obviously now i said they have a giant ass distillery um and so people are claiming that it is now produced using an automated process and is not in fact homemade but as i mentioned tito's is very secretive about their process because of the quality they don't want other people to copy them so fuck if we know who's right or who's wrong. You don't know how many people are actually involved versus machines. Right. Or or, or if they're using the the pot still or the column, column still. still. Yeah. Um, there was a Forbes reporter who says that they were quote ushered away from massive buildings containing floor, floor to ceiling stills uh, back in 2013. Uh, but the cases against them were settled out of court um and so none of like the corporate secrets were published in public documents because they were settled out of court uh so we we really don't know the truth uh but in an article for forbes in 2013 tito said quote if someone tells me my brand isn't a craft distilled spirit because it's too big I just say, I make it the same way I've always made it. I just have a lot more stills. So, got it. I, that's why I'm, like, wondering, are there tours? Because, like, they're so secretive about it. Right. There might not be tours of the stills, but there yeah. could be, like, tasting room yeah. tours. Yeah, there probably are. Like, but then what are you tasting? The same? The same vodka? <laughs> yeah, because it's not flavored. Maybe there aren't tours. Maybe, we'll have to look it up. Maybe that's why I didn't go on a tour. <laughs> Um, but back to some more positive things that Tito's does besides making smooth vodka. Um, what I didn't mention about Tito when he first started distilling is that he did it alongside his bestie, 
who was a trusty yellow Labrador retriever named Dog Joe, I think, like Dojo. Banjo. It's Dog J-O. Dog oh, Joe? I guess. I'm thinking like Banjo. I don't well, his dog. He did it along his dog. Uh, and because of his best buddies, Tito's as a company is known to work in protecting animals. Uh, they have a program called the Vodka for Dog People program, and it raises money and curates, par- curates partnerships with organizations that transport dogs from dangerous situations to safety. Hmm. So some of the uh, organizations that they work with are Wings of Rescue, Emancipet, and ASPCA. Another thing they fund is the annual Tito's Prize, which, according to the People Source, is an annual $15,000 award for one Austin-based artist. Uh, it's facilitated by the nonprofit gallery Big Medium, and the award, besides the monetary uh, award, also includes a solo exhibition at the Big Medium Gallery, uh, and it is the largest award devoted to Austin-based artist. So it's helping the puppies and the artist. the artist that's awesome yeah uh tito's also has been trying to do their part during our current covid19 pandemic they committed two million dollars to service industry organizations providing assistance to those affected by covid19 and also like many of the other alcohol companies out there during the hand sanitizer shortage uh they Look, you know, began to make their own hand sanitizer. It actually came after they initially had to put out a statement saying that Tito's was not effective as a hand sanitizer because apparently people were using the Just vodka. Uh, and so they had to say that, according to the CDC, hand sanitizer needs to contain at least 60% alcohol and that Tito's is only 40% alcohol, so not to use it as hand sanitizer. Um, but then after the Alcohol, Tobacco, Tax, and Trade Bureau announced that it would permit distilleries uh, to produce ethanol-based hand sanitizer, they decided to do that to help out, um, which was cool. So it seems like they're pretty active in, in their own community, and you know they also yeah. want to support in any ways they can. Um, I looked at their, their Twitter, not their, yeah, their Twitter and their Instagram, uh, both have a lot of information about like the charities and stuff that they work with. Also, their Instagram has a lot of recipes, so nice. Check that out. You can't go on tours, by the way. Yeah, because I think I figured because I don't know why I thought you could, but I do remember like in almost every gift store in Austin, there's like, Tito there's stuff. Tito stuff. Yeah, because they're very Austin proud. Yeah, and Austin is very Tito's proud. Yes. Uh, and of all the places in Texas, Austin seems like a pretty cool spot. Yeah. Texas. Yeah. Texas. We're not, we're not going to get into it. Anyway, that's a, a brief look at the history of Tito's with Uncle, with Uncle Tito. Uncle Tito. <laughs> um, so my sources were, first and foremost, the Tito's Homemade Vodka's website. Uh, they, like I said, they had a really long history section about Tito and the founding of the company. Uh, I also use an article from vinepair.com called 10 Things You Should Know About Tito's Vodka by Emily Bell. Uh, Another article from Austin Monthly called How Tito's Vodka Took Over the World by Tracy Minkin. Uh, An article from Forbes called The Troubling Success of Tito's Homemade Vodka. 
and Tito's Vodka working to make 24 tons of hard, hand, of hard seltzer. That's not true. I don't know why. I still got hard seltzer on my mind. Of hand sanitizer? T- Tito's Vodka working to make 24 tons of hard... Oh, my God. <laughs> of hand sanitizer from Today.com by Scott Stump. And, of course, a little a little of the people source Wikipedia. The people source. The people source. But that's it. That's Tito's. Okay, well... I love a rags to riches story, kind of. I mean, he wasn't rags, but no. like building himself up from like nothing. Side hustle to real hustle. Let's do it. Let's do it <laughs> all the way. Well, that was episode one, season four. Yay! Yay! It's actually like episode eighty, I think. Yeah, yeah. We decided <laughs> to start on the eighty. Yeah. We were like, we were like, is it weird to end on seventy nine? But it's nice to start on eighty. Yes, I remember that. So, season one, we're kicking it off, I think, today's episode. Season one? (laughs) Yeah. Season four, we kicked it off with, like, some nice nostalgia. I mean, clearly we're a little rusty. Yeah, yeah. But we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. Our flow will happen. But I think you said season one because we're kind of jumping back to what we did in season one, which was a bar uh, or cocktail of the week. Right. And so we picked this place because Laura and I have been there together recently. Uh, it's more of a restaurant, not a bar, but they do have cocktails. Uh, so we are going to be talking about their, I think it was just a watermelon cocktail. Yeah. Right? Uh, it was, it literally tasted like I was drinking a watermelon. Yeah. So the restaurant is called Pie Boat Noodle. Yes. And yeah, but the cocktail, I think they just took watermelon, put it in a blender. Yeah. And then added alcohol. Added rum. And ice. Yeah. And it was so delicious. It was like the most refreshing thing I feel like I've ever had. Um, And it kind of works for nostalgia for you because when Laura and I went, we sat in this really pretty backyard that they have and she said it felt very much like a restaurant you would go to in Thailand. Yeah. It's very authentic to like Thai street food like cocktails in Thailand. The vibe. Yeah, the whole vibe. It's just so, if you're in New York City and you venture into Queens, highly recommend Pie Boat Noodle for great dinner and good, simple drinks. Yeah. Like, it's not the fanciest of of craft cocktails. No. But it was a good, refreshing cocktail, and it was, like, a great restaurant. It was. A cocktail you could probably make at home pretty easily. Um... I know we're leaving summer now, so and it's it is definitely more of like a summery vibe, but highly recommend, even if you're not in New York, to try to make one yourself. Yeah. It's all you need, watermelon, ice, and rum. I mean, I don't have watermelon on hand today. <laughs> Normally I have all those ingredients on hand. Yeah. But uh so shout out to Pie Boat Noodle in the story of Queens. Mm-hmm. We heart you. We do. <laughs> And that is episode one of the season. We, as we said, are going to be spinning the bottle to pick our topic for next week. Uh, So you should definitely check out our social media to find that. Yes. So you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at a tap on the wrist. And again, send us your ideas. Uh, If you think that we missed a topic, let us know and we can maybe make like an extra piece 
We can add to our wheel. Paste over another topic for the week or something. Yeah. Just let us know. Yeah. It's a tap on the wrist podcast at gmail.com. And here's to an awesome new episode next week. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>